Today on The Full Life, we take a deeper look into the spiritual realm of demons, ghosts, spirits. Are they real? Why should we care? We have a lot of answers and a great guest today. Don't miss it. Welcome to another episode of The Full Life. Of course, we hope you are living the full life today that God desires for you. And if you're not, well, we hope every episode of our show gets you that little bit closer to living every day to the fullness that God desires. Today's topic is a really interesting one. And of course, before we get to that, we always start with a bit of an encouraging word for everyone out there. So today's will come from Jenny. Well, I just want to share a little with you all and encourage you on something that I'm really trying to encourage myself on. I teach on something as a pastor that I have not uh, been following recently, and I've been guilty. And so here's my bit of confession. Let's start with some confession, and then I want to encourage you. We are not just encouraged. The Bible is, is very clear, commanding us all to take a Sabbath. We call it Shabbat in the Hebrew circle. And so often we think that the Shabbat, the Sabbath is like Old Testament. Oh, I don't have to do that because that's just the law and the law is old and all. Without realizing that God himself took a Sabbath rest when he created the world. Not only that, but when Jesus died, he actually rested in the grave with his body on the Sabbath. It says, if you study this out, it says that the day after the Sabbath is when Jesus rose from the grave. He actually rested on the Sabbath. If God himself needs rest, how much more do we need rest? I think so often we get so uh, exhausted. I hear this from people all the time. I'm just so tired. I'm just so tired. I'm just so tired. And, and you know, God gave us a solution for that. People talk about self-care and things like that. Well, the true self-care comes from the Lord, our creator, who gave us a day to say, you know what? This is the day that I'm going to rest and take care of my body, take care of my mind, take care of my spirit and soul. I'm going to take care of my family. So I want to encourage all of you, as I encourage myself, make a priority of finding one day a week. It doesn't have to be the, the Sabbath as, as uh, prescribed in the Old Testament of Friday night to Saturday night. It can be Sunday. It can be Monday. It can be Tuesday. But find a day to rest. Your body needs it. Your spirit needs it. Your soul needs it. You will be recharged, re-energized, and then you'll be ready to go out and do all the things that you're called to do and you want to do without being run down. Amen? I'll say amen because certainly I'm guilty of not of not resting. I mean, I think you want to keep going, 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 get as much done, but that is not the way God designed it. So hopefully we can all follow his example because certainly his is the perfect example to follow. And I'm so excited today for today's guest. You know, we talk about spiritual warfare on this show. Uh, you know, we've talked about it a couple of times uh -huh. and we, we all firmly believe that spiritual warfare exists. We've talked about it. We've talked about our, some of our own struggles, but today we're going to take a closer look and we're going to take a closer look on how that spiritual warfare can manifest, how you let it into your life and what are the different levels of even the spiritual warfare can take. It's a very interesting topic. I do think we should care about it. And we will go into that today with today's guest through journalism, media, public speaking appearances, and the blogosphere. 
Billy Hollowell has worked as a journalist and commentator for more than 15 years. He has been featured in political and cultural books, textbooks, articles, and on radio and TV shows that focus on faith, culture, politics, and current events. Hollowell is the director of communications and content for pureflix.com, the former senior editor at faithwire.com, and the former faith and culture editor at The Blaze. He has contributed to foxnews.com, The Washington Post, Human Events, The Daily Caller, Mediaite, The Huffington Post, among other outlets. I'm so excited to welcome him to the show. Please welcome Billy Hollowell. Hello. Hey, thank, welcome, thanks Billy. for having me. Thanks for Hi, having Billy. me. Hi. And I, well, I have to tell you, I had a chance, Jenny, to hear what you were saying, and it was very convicting. That was a very uh, powerful message. So thank you for sharing that. Well, I need it for myself as well. So I've been feeling the effects of, of not honoring it. So um, preaching to the choir yeah. first. Or preaching it to was the convicting. It was convicting, but in a good way. It, it, we sure. need to hear that. Yeah. Well, let's get into it then. Of course, Billy, you wrote the book, uh, Playing With Fire, recently about this topic, a, deep, a deeper, closer, or you call it a modern investigation, I believe, into demons, ghosts. Why? Uh, what got you started on this investigation? What got your interest into this? And also, why is it important that Christians pay attention to this? If you had said to me two years ago, three years ago, maybe, oh, you're going to be sitting here talking about this topic, I probably would have laughed at you. Um, I'm a lifelong Christian, right? So I'm I'm used to this. I think most of us, we've obviously read scripture. We know the stories of Jesus healing people. But, you know, I've had sort of a history of, of liking looking at topics that don't always get enough attention in the church. And so this particular topic, though, I will tell you, I wanted to run very far away from this topic. I didn't really want to do much with it. When I worked at Faithwire and at The Blaze, we would do stories on spiritual warfare or, and, and we can get into this after, but one of the interesting things the last few years is we've seen some very mainstream stories come out about possession and the Indianapolis Star um, is an example of a media outlet that has covered these things. And so Having said all of that, I didn't really want to spend the time it takes to write a book being embroiled in this topic. And admittedly, that was because I didn't understand it. I was afraid of it, you know, full disclosure going into it. And it was something that I think, like many Christians, I had sort of avoided. I like the entertainment factor of it, but I didn't want to think about it in, in the real world. So how did I end up doing this? I mean, God sort of dropped it in my lap. And I won't go into the whole entire story, but I had rejected doing this book after praying a few years ago. And the second time around, it was basically like, you're going to do this book. Here it is. And then I sat for two months and prayed about it. I prayed on it. I had a book contract that I wasn't sure I wanted. And, you know, I don't write books for money. Some people might do that. If I'm going to write a book, it's because I want to spread the gospel. I want to do what I know God wants for me. And unfortunately for me at the time, although now I have a totally different view, this was something he wanted me to do. Yeah. You know, I'm glad you're doing it because there is so many people who don't even believe in this whole demonic world. And, and some of it, I think it scares them. You know, I, I think it's a lot of that, but I think for the people that are watching today, could you just describe to us a little bit, what are demons? H how would you describe that? So, and that's a really, that's a really interesting question. So I would say diabolical evil, right? One, one of the things for me that was so interesting, because I had never done this before, was to go into scripture and pull out descriptions of who Satan is. Satan, fallen angel, he is the father of evil. 
And when when you look at the descriptions, he's a deceiver, he's a liar, he seeks to yeah. destroy, he seeks mm -hmm. to, I mean, all of these things that actually, when you look at culture right now, interestingly, you see these reflections of these things going on in culture, which is a much broader discussion. But when you start to look at that, it's a little terrifying. And then when you look at Ephesians 6, and I have to tell you, I had read Ephesians 6 a million times as a Christian, and it's like all the stories of exorcism that you see Jesus performing throughout scripture. You read it and you move on. But when you yeah. really focus on Ephesians 6, it is telling us that there's a battle between good and evil and that it's not about flesh and blood. We're all consumed with the, the fighting, you know, and politics. And, and, and listen, it's right. good to have positions and to defend things. But my point is we're looking past we're not looking past all that. We're stuck in it and we're missing that there's a broader battle. So, you know, demons are evil. They're now there's a debate over what demons are. Most most Christians will say, not all, and there are, are theologians who do not believe that they're fallen angels, are fallen angels. Others will say it's the Nephilim. And that's a whole theory that we can go into. Right. Um, but but the, so there's some debate there. But it doesn't really matter what you think they are because they're evil. And we see that throughout scripture and how they affect people. It's kind of funny because my husband didn't know we were going to be doing the program on this. And when I came home from running some errands, he was upstairs watching Constantine. And I think, you know, <laughs> and I, I did just kind of came to my mind, as you mentioned, the exorcist, you know, uh, different exorcisms. Of course, there's a movie, The Exorcist. And, you know, now The Conjuring is really big and, and you know, uh, these these Hollywood things. But obviously, as Christians, we, sh we have to know that this isn't just a Hollywood fantasy, that this isn't just a genre. Um, but, right. you know, the Bible does talk very clearly about it as you were talking about already. Um, what evidence or insight does the Bible give us about these spirits? And, and of course we have the, you know, the Old uh, and the New Testament, but looking at the Old Testament, what actual evidence is in there outside of just maybe a story? Is there anything beyond that? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I address this topic in Playing With Fire and talking to different experts. One of the things I love about a book like this is you get a chance to interview people who don't necessarily agree. And they're Christians, but they have different takes on different elements. And one of the things that does come up quite frequently is why don't you see the demonic as fragrantly in your face in the Old Testament as you do in the New, right? And there are lots of different theories about that. One of those theories is that obviously once Jesus came, there was an intensity and there was a flare up of, of demonic activity. And so that's a really, that's really interesting. I would imagine that that's true. I mean, we see, we see that going on, the interactions that Jesus has with the demonic throughout the New Testament. One of the other explanations, and to sort of simplify it, is that the demonic was always there, but human understanding of that evil grew, right? So between the Old and the New Testament, that understanding was growing. And so you do see some elements of that come up in Scripture. You think of Saul. It sounds like he was possessed. There was an evil spirit who was coming into him throughout the Old Testament, right? Throughout the story of Saul. So there are elements. It's there, but the understanding of it seemed to grow. Now, people will debate that. I think it's I think it's a really interesting idea. Um, also, you know, human revelation and how scripture is written and, and put together, it, it seems very clear in, in the New Testament that we are to know that Ephesians 6 is true, that there is this battle, and that we have to actively live as Christians to protect ourselves and also to be in line with what the gospel calls us to, right? A relationship with Christ. So um, it, I find it incredibly fascinating, but I will tell you that the thing for me 
and looking at all the different stories of possession, because this was another thing too, just going through those stories of Jesus healing people, I I had never paid attention to the fact that there were two children who were possessed, right? I mean, the little boy in particular, I had never, there were so many things that stood out to me and that opened up a lot of theological questions, which I, I, I addressed to a degree in the book. We can't always solve all of those things, but but for me, the big takeaway was seeing the impact. I think about that little boy and the father who's so desperate going to Jesus, asking for help and saying that the demons are trying to drown the little boy or throw him into a fire, right? They're trying to kill him. And so I go back to that description again, to kill, to destroy, to confuse all of these things that are descriptors of Satan and that we see really playing out in those stories throughout scripture. Absolutely. You led right into what I was going to ask, which, of course, was the New Testament and Jesus's ministry. And you, we see quite a bit of him having a deliverance ministry. We see quite a bit of healing and quite a bit of casting out of demons. And you kind of po point out a bunch of different stuff that you learn from Jesus's ministry there. Yeah, well, and one of the things I mean, even the question of one of the demons, why he wasn't able to expect why the disciples weren't able to expel the demon yeah. and you know, he, he says this thing about how this particular one needs prayer. And it's a really interesting moment because you think, oh, you know, there's a whole debate in, in this realm. And I get in the book into obviously the Catholic church, and there's a lot of debate here between the Catholic church and Protestants. There are different ways of dealing with this. And that debate is heightened depending on who you're speaking with. But there are some, even in the Protestant realm, who would say that they have encountered moments where they have dealt with an exorcism and where the person has responded to certain things like a cross or, you know, so, so th then there's other people you talk to and they say, they walk into a room and they say, get out, you're not welcome here. And it's done. And so the power of Christ should be enough is the idea that you will hear from many of the people I spoke with in the book. But it is interesting because you do have that moment. And again, this is part of the mystery of this to a degree of Jesus saying, you know, this particular type needs prayer. And that that for me was another thing I had never really looked at before. I found it fascinating. Well, there was also a time where, you know, specifically with the child, as you mentioned, he said, go and don't come back. Whereas another yes. time, like, he 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 cast out the demon, but there was this uh, this realization that it could come back, which and is be awesome. worse and be much worse and if you return to your sin seven times worse, right? So that's interesting too. That in that case, you know, and and who knows? Is it was it something the father had requested? And of course, the bigger question, the uncomfortable question for a lot of for a lot of people is, well, how do children become possessed? And this right. is, I think, that is the thing that opens up a lot of interesting conversations about. The rights of parents and what you, you know, I, I've actually, I will tell you, I interacted with so many people who didn't want to tell their stories in the book because they were afraid to, because this is a hard topic. And it, and when you go out and you tell your story, there's a chance people are going to think you're strange or weird, or, I mean, listen, I joke that I'm the weird book guy now, like that's just what, and I'm fine with that because we, and it shouldn't be that way. But I, I do think having said that, not to go off on a Ted talk or a tangent, one of the things that I think we have to deal with as a church is the fact, and I want to be careful how I say this, but Hollywood is actually talking more about a subject than many churches are, and it's a church subject. So that's a problem, and they're not doing it the right way, but they're talking about it more. And so that's something that's been very convicting to me, and another thing that sort of led me into this. Well, I want to ask 
and you started to get into it was the causes of demonic activity in people's lives. And that goes into a whole, you know, the levels of different activity and oppression versus possession and all of that. But what, what causes demonic activity? Yeah. You know, it's, it's such an interesting question because, and this is something I, I pose to many of the people I spoke with who deal with this every day. And I talked with people who were in the mental health profession all the way down to obviously deliverance ministers and people who would perform, they'd be exorcists essentially, they perform exorcisms. And when you start to engage in things that we are clearly commanded not to engage in, and so these are the things like the Ouija board, the things like going to a psychic or a medium, trying to connect with the dead, necromancy, all these other, all these other things, when you start to do that, you are directly, and by the way, these are things in the Old Testament that are that are actually discussed quite a bit. So when we go back to that conversation about the old and the new, the, the warnings of what to avoid were already being detailed in the Old Testament. Even if there weren't a million possession and exorcism stories, it was already being warned. And so those are very clear things that can open doors for people. Then, then there's repetitious sin or things that you engage in. I mean, one of the one of the fascinating things in talking to mental health providers was that, you know, we were talking about drug abuse and addiction, and I was asking questions. And these are very sens sensitive topics, right? Because there's a debate also about mental health versus spiritual health. When is it mental? When is it spiritual? And that's a very important topic. And I wanted to make sure we handled that the right way. But one of the people I spoke with said, listen, I've never encountered a patient who was an addict who didn't also have a spiritual issue going on alongside it. So they weren't yeah. saying that it's always caused, by, but they were saying it's an evil is attracted to these things. And so sometimes it's like the chicken or the egg, right? You know, what, you end up having some of these spiritual issues when you engage in certain activities, or maybe it's the other way, other way around. Um, so there's a lot of things that could really lead you into it. But I will say, what is the biggest, you know, danger for Christians and non-Christians alike? And it's, I would say it's apathy, spiritual apathy. Because if you go back to Ephesians 6 is such a, it's such a linchpin to this whole thing, because what does it tell us? Yeah, it tells us there's a battle, but it also says, you know, take up your shield. What is your shield? It's being a Christian. It's a relationship with Jesus. It's reading scripture. It's prayer, not because you're doing it just to do it, but because it's part of a relationship and it's a genuine relationship with Christ, when you're apathetic to that, it can very slowly lead you down a path that opens all sorts of doors. It's hard to sort of identify, like, for someone that's dealing with uh, a mental issue. Yeah. Is this demonic? Because, I, you know, for a long time, whenever anybody had anything mental, it was always, it's a devil, it's a devil. And right. now it's evolved, just like you're talking about in the New Testament, things have evolved and we've learned. And so now there's psychology and we say, no, it's not a devil. This was a, you know, a, a, an emotional situation or a, a mental handicap. Or, I mean, even, you know, people with, with actual physical disorders were saying they were touched by, you know, yeah. demons and whatnot. <laughs> yeah. And so, I mean, personally, I believe that. There are still some cases that we do. I think we've gone so far on the on the pendulum. It's gone so far that now we write off anything that could be, you know, demonic influence as it's all just oh, this is the, the let's just label it this and write a prescription. You know, I think with science we're trying to kind of find that sweet spot again where we went so far. Everything was demonic. Now nothing's demonic and it's all just mental illness. Where do we find that middle ground on this? Yeah. That's good. And how do we know the difference? How do we know the difference? Right. Yeah. You know, it's sort of this paradox of you've got the demon under every rock 
And you've got the let's never talk about that because it doesn't exist. And these are two real things that are going on in many churches today. And, you know, neither of those things are healthy. One of the things I found fascinating, Richard Gallagher, he's a, he is a psychiatrist in New York city, near New York city. And I actually met with him for a dinner, you know, recently before the book came out, he has a book out too, as well. He has been working with the Catholic church for about 25 years, I believe. Um, and he was somebody who grew, he grew up in the Catholic church and, you know, kind of walked away and was like, I don't really believe in any, you know, I'm a scientist. I don't believe in any of these things. And they called him in to look at this case of a woman who worshiped Satan. And it was fascinating because this case actually turned him into a believer, right? And, and saying, okay, I do believe this exists. And now he's been consulting for years, trying to help with this question. How do you know if it's demonic or if it's, if it's a mental illness, there are numerous people, not just Richard Gallagher. And by the way, he teaches at Columbia. He's a well-known guy. Um, there are some others who are not necessarily believers who are saying, you know, there's something else going on here. And so you're starting to see that conversation open up among some, and they're saying it openly. And that is really important. I think we have to have those conversations because let's say, and we believe this all here, but the rest of the world might not. If we're designed by God and we're emotion, if we've got mental, we've got physical, we've got spiritual components and we're never addressing the spiritual. Well, if we can get sick in any of those areas, what's happening to people who are being trapped essentially um, and they're not being helped and that's not being addressed. So this is a real issue. And I think, you know, the, the question of how do you know one deliverance minister I spoke with, he said, listen, you know, when somebody's truly mentally ill, they don't respond to any of the spiritual deliverance techniques. And I thought that was a really simple answer, but it was interesting. And he's like, I've been doing this a long time. He's like, people, they don't respond. There's no response whatsoever. And I will say this too, anybody who's dealing with this, they should be doing the due diligence to actually make sure that somebody isn't just mentally ill. Like th there should be a, before they do anything that they're actually looking into this to understand that's the proper way. And everybody I spoke with said, that's what they do. They spend time trying to understand that before they get into any spiritual remedies. Well, you know, it's funny because, uh, you know, we've been in ministry for, I'm not going to take, so I want to age myself. But anyways, <laughs> at one of our ministry events one night, we had, <laughs> we had a family that came out that they actually did a movie about their life and how um, their their youngest sister like became like spiritually like possessed. I just ask them, my family ask them when I, you know, where do you think that this demonic possession came? And you know what they said? We were watching a lot of those satanic movies. And he said, we really believe that that is what opened it up. I, I think it'd be interesting if you could just take us a little bit deeper of what is the difference between like um, the Hollywood spirit possession and oppression. Like there is a difference between those two. Cause I mean, I think all of us have probably felt some oppression in our life, <laughs> you know, but what's the difference? Absolutely. Yeah. That's, and that's so important. And one of the, one of the most challenging things about writing, playing with fire. And I laugh because I was, as I was going, every time you interview somebody possession, you know, exorcism, deliverance, all these terms mean something different to everybody. And so you're sitting there and you're trying to distill the information and pull it together. So, so one of the things I do in the book is try to define those really clearly for people so that they can understand what they are. Now, a possession is a full 
takeover of somebody's body. And you see, I think one of the, the best examples, the little boy we talked about, you also have the man who's living in the caves. He's naked, he's cutting himself, and he's crazed. He's got supernatural power, essentially, or strength, rather. And so that is somebody who has been completely taken over. They're no longer in control of themselves whatsoever. And that is, that is a, that's a possession, right? And there may be different levels of that, but that's sort of an extreme example of what a possession might look like. Oppression is different. Oppression is something that anybody could essentially face. It's evil pressing into your life in some way, right? And I think that is the, any Christian could experience that. So there, the, there really isn't a debate about oppression. Any of us can experience it. Any of us can face it. There are different levels of it. And that's what Ephesians 6 is about, essentially, right? You know, you can be protected from these things. It doesn't mean your life is going to be easy. It doesn't mean you're not going to have those moments. And also, we have to also have an honest conversation that sometimes we just make bad decisions. Like there is that component of everything, like we were talking about before, everything is demonic. Well, no, you just made a very stupid, bad decision and you used your free will to do something you shouldn't have done. You know, this goes into another rabbit hole of, do you think you can lose your salvation? Now, if Christian, if a Christian believes you could lose your salvation, well, you know, Dr. Michael Brown was talking about this in, in the book and he said, listen, you know, you could essentially, if you believe this way, he wasn't advocating, he was just explaining it. If you lose your salvation, if you move so far away from God and it, it could open a portal more and more and more, the further you move away. And so it's an interesting discussion and debate, but most of the experts I spoke with don't believe that a, that a true, the Holy Spirit could, could live with that. That again, does not mean you won't face oppression or other issues. And it doesn't mean you can't, I mean, there are stories of Christians, at least people who believed they were Christians, who were church going, who experienced, there's one in the book in particular, her name's Amy, who experienced what she believed was a full possession and she was a church goer. That was the story that really was, and I'm happy to tell it, was the most fascinating to me because of the different elements of it. I, I know a, a similar kind of story and it really bothered me because I, I'm just a firm believer. I mean, I'm just, I'm a word girl. So if the word says something, I'm going to believe it. And the scripture says, what fellowship does light have with darkness? And I think we don't need to even go beyond that scripture. Sure, there's more, but I mean, do we need to go even beyond? If you have the fellowship of the Holy Spirit and you have the light of Jesus, how can there be, how can they dwell together? But I, we do have someone that was in our church and um, came to, to share this story about how she was at a church praying for the infilling of the Holy Spirit at the altar and, and, and was filled or had been filled with the Spirit, was, but was praying for more, more. She wanted more for the anointing, more of the power of God. And that this woman came over her to pray over her and placed her hands to pray over her. And she said, and in that moment, what that woman did was transfer a demon onto me. And she went into the story how she laid in the hallway of her room and she rolled around and she voices, a voice came out of her because she had been fasting. Okay. So she was fasting in the season, seeking God and somebody, she wanted, she was going to break her fast and so wanted to have pizza. And someone, she said, how much longer for the pizza? And she swears that a voice came out of her when somebody said another 10 minutes and she screamed 10 minutes and that it was a gnarled gnarly demon and I and that's why she believed you know in, in Christians can be demon possessed and I was like girl you were just hungry like yeah. you all know how we <laughs> I was like that's me every Friday I was gonna say I sound like that sometimes you're yeah. hungry and you don't want to admit it man <laughs> you know? and it really bothered me because this is somebody who's in ministry who's preaching about 
um, this, the spiritual realm. And it really, yeah. like, we actually had to part ways because yeah. um, we went to our covering and I said, this is the story. What do we do? And he's like, and our coverings in Jerusalem and they're brilliantly beautiful people and wise. And they just said, we, we just can't align ourselves with a theology that says a believer who's blood bought, who's filled with the spirit can be demon possessed, especially if you're asking for the infilling, because what did Jesus say? He said, what among you, who among you, if your child asked for a fish, would give them a stone. How much more well, will the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So why would a stone be given to a believer? So I don't understand those kind of stories. Go ahead. Sorry. Well, and I, there's a little mystery in there, but I would I would tend to agree with you. The the story in the book that um in playing with fire about Amy, and I've actually had her on my podcast talking about it. It's an incredibly bizarre story. You know, do you mind if I tell it quickly? Please, please do. Okay. So Amy was a nurse. She worked in a, in a hospital. As I mentioned, she went to church um, weekly. She had children and a husband and was completely healthy, never had a mental health problem a day in her life. And one day she's working in the hospital. And this is an interesting detail. A burn patient came into the hospital and the, it was a suspected methamphetamine explosion. Okay. That this person had survived. Now that detail stuck with me. I just found it interesting. As she's caring for this patient, she's writing out the writing out his file and she starts to feel sick. Something doesn't feel right. And so by the time she gets downstairs, she's unable to do her job at all. She goes home sick. She just feels foggy. She tries to go out for a run. She was an avid runner and is unable to run in a straight line. So she's like, something is going on. She tells her husband, I think I'm having a nervous breakdown. Like something is really off. And within eight days of that happening, she was institutionalized. So she essentially, over this eight-day period, lost her mind. And what preceded were eight months of complete chaos. She lost her job. She, her, her family's trying to figure out what's going on. Erratic behavior like you can't believe. And they take her to the Mayo Clinic. They're trying to figure out, is this physical? Is it mental? What's going on? You know, nobody is thinking this is this is spiritual. Now, this culminates, and I think it was in, I forget which month, it must have been October or September. She's in her home and she's on the second floor of her house. And by the way, she was never suicidal, but she was consumed with this thought of end your life, end your life, kill yourself, kill. You know, it wasn't another voice, it was her own, it was her own voice telling her to end her life. So picture this: she's sitting in a windowsill. The window, the open window is behind her. So she's looking into her house and she's th she's like, if I drop myself down, she's two floors up, I'll die. Like I can kill myself. This will, I'll just drop myself out of the window. And so she was a nurse, remember? So she's thinking through all the different factors of what it would take to end her life. And she drops herself out of the window. And the way she describes this is not a jump. It's just a drop. And like a normal person would, would break their fall. The natural sort of thing, you would try to break your fall never tries to break her fall, lands on the concrete and doesn't die. What happens is she is in severe critical condition. And to this day, by the way, she's in a wheelchair. So she's paralyzed from this. So wow. her family gets her to the hospital. They take her to the hospital. And what's crazy is her church holds a prayer meeting for her. And they tell everybody she, you know, she's sick. She fell out of the window. Now, this woman who she didn't know goes to this prayer meeting, and this is a woman who's done deliverance, and she has a strong feeling, never met Amy, that she needs to go to the hospital and pray with her. She goes to the hospital, performs a deliverance over her, and says she was speaking in another voice, much like the story you just shared, speaking in another voice. Her husband heard her speak in another voice. Long story short, once they cycled her off of her medicine, because they put her on all sorts of medicine to address these issues, 
she has never had a mental health problem again, but is wheelchair bound for the rest of her life. So that was a long story. I said it would be quick. It wasn't, but there's so many other details. It's a crazy story. I yeah. think it's also an interesting thing that we should talk about because I, I do agree with you guys. I don't think that we can be Christ spirit filled and be demonic possessed, but I do believe that demons can enter churches. And, and it's funny that you're saying this because I wasn't raised. I don't know. Maybe it's because when you're a little girl, they tell you, if you just say the name of Jesus, everything's going to be okay. That, you know, and then you see all the movies that if you just show a cross, they run, you know? And so you're like, oh, well they can't enter church. But I think, you know, I listened to a lot of Derek Prince stuff. Do you remember Derek Prince from way back when? And he, he does a lot of teaching on demonic and he, and he really teaches that those spirits can come into that church. And they, you, you know, you have to resist the devil and he will flee. You've got to speak to it, command it to go. If not, he was making it sound like it can sit. What, what is you all's, you know, spiritual thoughts on that? So I have heard others say that they've experienced that in their church, which, which is really interesting to me. Uh -huh. And I guess, you know, there's, there's two schools of thought. One is that if you've invited the Holy Spirit into your church, that this is a place that can't be touched. The other school of thought is human beings make up the church. And if human beings are opening the door to certain things, you know, that it could be there. And so it's something, you know, when you look at infestation, which is another term we haven't talked about, this is another controversial thing. Not everybody believes that a demon can be attached to a place. You know, a lot of people will say, no, it has to be a person. But there are an awful lot of stories of people who will claim that it is attached to a place. And there and there are there are some there's not a lot in scripture that would tell us necessarily that it, that a place would be the central hub. Um, but there's a lot there. If, if, if very concentrated events have happened in a place that it could happen. So I don't want to get too far off of what we're discussing here. But the church thing, the church thing is interesting to me. I guess I, I don't really have a strong view on that. I'd like to hear what you guys think. I've, I've heard it before. So I mean, I've experienced it. Um, so where, again, I feel like I don't understand a spirit from believer being filled with the, a demon. I will say I grew up in this very powerful church called Melody Land Christian Center, and it was a hub of spiritual activity. I mean, everybody was there, Catherine Kuhlman, Betty Henry, Oral Roberts, they all came in, they all did these events. And, and I mean, it was a very, I mean, we had Catholics that would come to service priests and nuns that would sit in the front row, would be filled with the spirit and speaking in tongues and slain in the spirit. I mean, we had people you know, Protestant, we had, it was just this conglomeration of people seeking something very deep spiritually. But I encountered things from a young child in that church. So, and there were other stories. I mean, I thought I was a big weirdo until I heard other people's stories. But I mean, I remember being a young girl. And of course, we were stupid kids, you know, growing up in church with all kinds of times in our hand. My parent, my father was a music pastor. So we were there all the time. And we did dumb stuff. Uh, uh, what is it? Light as a feather, stiff as a board. You guys remember that one? Okay, we did that oh, at the yeah. church. We played Bloody Mary. To this day, if I found the group of kids I was with, they would testify to the same thing. Lights turned on and off. Yeah. It all kind of got weird in the room. And I remember clearly to this day looking up in the rafters and seeing someone that was sitting, and it looked like a just like a little demon laughing. We all ran out of the room. There was this like side room to the left of the bathroom, and I looked in the window. Clear as day, I could st still see it to this day. I look in the window and this person, this body is on a like a, a hospital bed and there's like a nurse attending. And the person looks at me and their arm flops off the bed 
and then they had their head turns and they're dead. And it was horrible. We're screaming, we're crying. Nobody believed us, but one woman who dealt with the spiritual stuff. And she started saying, no, there's been this activity recently going on in the church. Now, of course, as children, we all felt very guilty that we brought the demonic activity by the activities right. we were playing with, but we probably did open that door. But I also had heard that hubs of significant spiritual activity will draw the demonic because they're like, that's why they came around Jesus. They, they, it wasn't like, Oh, they couldn't come near cause it was Jesus. They came right up to right. him. Same and right they in. spoke to him and, exactly. and they spoke to him. Right. Yes. I mean, if you think about, if you think about a church, if it's a true spirit-filled church, it's actually an interesting concept to consider that they may be more attracted to trying to get around that and to try to, you know, put stumbling blocks in people's paths. You know, there's a whole school of thought when it comes to deliverance that every Christian should go through a deliverance, that every now, not that they're possessed, but to try to rid now, I'm not mm. I, I think it's an interesting school of thought. I think there are people who might be able to benefit. And I also think that deliverance has become myst you know, it's so mystical to people. It's prayer. You know, it's it's <laughs> we're talking about prayer and it, and it can be a very specific prayer when there are very specific issues, but you know, these things are not quite what Hollywood shows them. And that's our only frame of reference many times for people in the church is what we're seeing in The Exorcist or in The Conjuring or whatever the movie is. We were talking about drug addiction before, right? And and things like that. If that attracts this sort of thing, why wouldn't it be possible? And I know some people will get mad at me for saying this, but I'm just going to suggest it. And I have one story in the book where I talk about this, that a, a location where very intense, severe, sinful, awful things have happened why would why would evil not be attracted to that as well as as a location or a spot now whether or not that's something that can stay there long term without people i don't i don't know but we seem to see in scripture that you know demons sort of lurk and look for a host right they look for they look for a place a person to find to inhabit so yeah it's very interesting and the and the story i share in the book is about a pennsylvania house that had all sorts of issues in it and it's i will tell you when I was a journalist covering this stuff, I would, I would try, even though I was a Christian, to I'm going to find somebody who's going to disprove this. That particular story in Pennsylvania, I remember thinking, I'm going to call and someone is going to tell me that this guy's lying, right? Like, <laughs> there's going to be some hole I can poke in it. And what, what really shook me was that everybody would back the story up. And they didn't want to go on the record, some of them, but they'd say, no, we saw it and we experienced it. And so whether it's a location or, or a person, there are many stories like that that are verifiable. Honestly, it happened to me when I was a young girl. I come from a really small town, 19,000 people went over for a uh, slumber party with nine other little girls, nine years old. And they all, Jenny, they started doing that light as a feather. I had never in my life seen anything like that. But let me tell you all something. The same thing happened. They did the whole story, did the whole light as a feather. We lifted this girl up. I mean, I guys, okay. I, and all of a sudden the girl, her nose started bleeding. We had to run her to wow. the bathroom. It was like filling. And I mean, the fear of God came over me. And I'm telling you, I just began praying, Father, in the name of Jesus. I mean, I was a young girl, but it had been so ingrained in me. That's why I'm so glad that we're doing the show today because people need to be aware. We need to have these conversations with our children because we know not how do we defend it. 
and well, I, speaking to that, I was going to turn to like some of those activities. We started to mention yeah. some of them. We started to talk about the Ouija board. We started to talk about yeah. mediums and, and what, well, I want to know what the Bible talks about these things. Yeah. And then why is it so important? I mean, it's a, whoa, isn't this a game where you just move, you pretend to move the thing and freak someone out? I mean, like it seems harmless, right? Or not. Yeah, I mean it's it's not harmless for for anybody really, but it's specifically not harmless for certain people. Uh, and what I mean by that is, again, not everyone's going to have some massive pro. In fact, the majority of people might be fine after they play the Ouija board, or they may not have visible things happening to them. But I have stories of people who have seen somebody walking through their house after, just like the stories we just heard you share. Um, I also know that the Ouija board is a starting point for many people to have many other issues after after the fact, and so. You know, when you look at scripture, you go back to those Old Testament warnings and talking about not communicating with the dead. Well, what are you trying to do with a Ouija board? You're trying to communicate with the dead. Now, mm -hmm. I am also a firm believer and feel free to push back that, you know, we're not talking to dead people. Whatever you're communicating with is the demonic that wants you to think it's a deceased person. And and I think that's mm -hmm. I think that's really interesting because just recently i've had friends I'm, I'm hearing of people who are not believers in my life who and one person came to me and said i went and I, you know i'm having such a hard time after the death of this loved one i went and talked to a psychic and everything she told me and this is a person who's an atheist it made me really start to believe and this is the deception of it right because you're getting the peace not from god you're getting That's the right. peace from this person and and i mean we can have a whole theological conversation about where the powers that these people have are coming from. But it, if the Bible is telling us not to play with these things, then we have to assume that psychics and others who are legitimate, not everybody's legitimate psychic and mediums and, and all these things, they're actually not getting their power from God. And so where is it coming from? And so you could have a whole theological conversation there, but these are, these are very serious things, these games. And, and also, I mean, let's look at culture right now. I mean, culture, there are triggers all over the place in culture that, you know, you can really see the influence of evil in, in culture and it's intensifying at such a crazy rate that, you know, this is, this is a really tough thing. Now we know, we know who wins in the end and we have to remember that. So we can't get overtaken with, you know, mm -hmm. but there's a lot of people who need to hear the truth. And, there's a lot on the line for those people. And so I do talk a little bit about that too, towards the end of, of playing with fire in that, you know, you can see that clearly there's something happening. And a lot of us, you know, we're, we're kind of beside ourselves and you're trying to put your finger on what is happening. Ephesians six is what is happening, right? We're seeing this battle and it's becoming a little clearer. I think as believers, we're watching sort of the, the manifestations of what that looks like in culture. And it's, it's pretty unfortunate to see. Well, and the deception, it's, I'm so glad you guys brought that up, uh, Joseph, even about the mediums and the psychics and, you know, all of that, uh, Carol Kernacki, who used to be a witch and now she's, God's just transformed her life. She talks about that, how they used to conjure up those spirits and you think you're talking to that person, but you're not, you're talking to a demonic spirit that it knows things. I mean, you go to Paul and Silas, remember when that, they, that woman kept following them, she was declaring truth of who they were. Right. Yeah. Was saying, you know who they are. And they said they were telling her, be quiet, woman, be, because right. it wasn't that she was speaking truth. It was the spirit in which she was doing it in. And so and I think I, that's act 16, right? Act 16. Yeah. And what happens to her, though? What ha And what happens to her is fascinating, right? 
He takes the spirits out of her, and then she can't fortune tell anymore. Remember, they got so upset because that's they lost really all of their money, right? Yeah. Yes. That, that and that's what I was talking about before. That is actually evidence right there. Again, where mm -hmm. are these powers coming from, right? And nobody ever talks about that. I mean, maybe they do. I just I haven't heard a lot on. It. And as I was working on the yeah. book, that really stuck out to me because I thought, oh my gosh! Again, I read right past this. This woman lost her ability to do the very thing that celebrities. I mean, look, pull up a reality show and watch it. They're they're going to see psychics. It's so it's oh, so ingrained. Yeah, yeah, it's insane. Now let's talk about the fullness of prayer. Yeah, you know, if you find yourself in a place where you're not really sure what's going on spiritually, where you feel like maybe there's some oppression or maybe there's a loved one, maybe it's not you, but there's a loved one or a family member who has maybe dabbled in something they shouldn't, or you're just sensing that something is off. I think prayer is so important. It's so essential that you, that you take the time I do recommend going to a pastor, going to you know a Christian counselor, but in the meantime, praying for that person, praying in your own life for God's power and for peace. And these are things that we have an open line to God to pray for at any time. And so we should be doing that daily anyway, but in the midst of those kinds of, of struggles or uncertainties, praying for yourself and your struggles or praying for that other person, that loved one. I even walk around, you know, my house and, you know, I pray, I pray over my house. I pray for my, for my kids, not only for their, where they are right now, but for their future, you know, praying that God will put the things in their path that they're supposed to encounter that will lead them on the path that they are supposed to take. And so prayer is a powerful tool. And, you know, it starts with acknowledging that we're accountable to, to God, right? And it starts there, but it carries all the way through because we know, and we've all seen that power that prayer can have. And so I'd recommend, you know, pray, but get others to pray for you too. I think a lot of times we pray in a vacuum where we don't let anybody know what's going on. And that's why I said, you're talking to a pastor, talking to Christian friends. I know you want to respect sometimes people's, you know, it may be a sensitive topic, so you don't want to just go out and broadcast it, but, but finding those who can be prayer partners and prayer warriors with you, um, that's essential because, you, you know, we want to gather together with others and put that power to prayer together. And a lot of times just checking in, you'll find that everybody needs prayer for something. And so it's important to be in touch with other believers as well. Believe it or not, we've been talking for so long and there's so much more to cover. I mean, I just will speak so highly of playing with fire. I mean, we didn't even yeah. talk about, you know, different types of exorcisms or ghosts. All of that is in the book. We just, there's so much in there that we couldn't talk about it all in the time we had. But uh, go out and get the book. It's important to be in touch with the spiritual realm so you know how to be, as Billy says in the book several times, to be on guard. So we encourage you to get that book. We encourage you to be on guard every single day because that will lead to the fullness of life for you, certainly. And we'll see you next time here on The Full Month.